Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. designed to help you fall asleep. Find us at snoozecast.com and now also on YouTube. While you are on our channel, be sure to subscribe. If you would like to get an email once a week with upcoming sleep stories and other news, subscribe to the snooze letter at snoozecast.com. This episode is brought to you by Permutations and Computations. Tonight, we'll read from Elements of Arithmetic, written by Augustus de Morgan and published in 1846. De Morgan was a British mathematician and logician. He was also known as a brilliant and witty writer. Personally, he was an atheist at a time when his expression of belief limited his academic career early. The prejudice didn't last forever, and because of his mathematical legacy, there is a crater on the moon named after him. The history of arithmetic includes the period from the emergence of counting before the formal definition of numbers and arithmetic operations over them by means of a system of axioms. Arithmetic, the science of numbers, their properties, and their relations is one of the main mathematical sciences. It is closely connected with algebra and the theory of numbers. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body and of the softness of your bed.
imagine a multitude of objects of the same kind assembled together. For example, a company of horsemen. One of the first things that must strike a spectator, although unused to counting, is that to each man there is a horse. Now, though men and horses are things perfectly unlike, yet, because there is one of the first kind to every one of the second, one man to every horse, a new notion will be formed in the mind of the observer, which we express in words by saying that there is the same number of men as of horses. Someone who had no other way of counting might remember this number by taking a pebble for each man. Out of a method as rude as this has sprung our system of calculation, by the steps which are pointed out in the following articles. Suppose that there are two companies of horsemen, and a person wishes to know in which one of them is the greater number, and also to be able to recollect how many there are in each. Suppose that while the first company passes by, he drops a pebble into a basket for each man whom he sees. There is no connection between the pebbles and the horsemen but this, that for every horseman there is a pebble. That is, in common language, the number of pebbles and of horsemen is the same. Suppose that while the second company passes, he drops a pebble for each man into a second basket. He will then have two baskets of pebbles by which he will be able to convey to any person a notion of how many horsemen there were in each company. When he wishes to know which company was the larger or contained most horsemen, he will take a pebble out of each basket and put them aside. He will go on doing this as often as he can, that is, until one of the baskets is emptied. Then, if he also find the other basket empty, he says that both companies contained the same number of horsemen. If the second basket still contained some pebbles, he can tell by them how many more were in the second than in the first. In this way, a primitive person could keep an account of any numbers in which he was interested. He could thus register his children his cattle, or the number of summers and winters which he had seen by means of pebbles, or any other small objects which could be got in large numbers. Something of this sort is the practice of primitive person nations at this day, and it has in some places lasted even after the invention of better methods of reckoning. At Rome, in the time of the Republic, the Praetor, one of the magistrates, used to go every year in great pomp and drive a nail into the door of the Temple of Jupiter, a way of remembering the number of years which the city had been built, which probably took its rise before the introduction of writing. 
in process of time, names would be given to those collections of pebbles which are met with most frequently. But as long as small numbers only were required, the most convenient way of reckoning them would be by means of the fingers. Any person could make with his two hands the little calculations which would be necessary for his purposes and would name all the different collections of the fingers. He would thus get words in his own language answering to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. As his wants increased, he would find it necessary to give names to larger numbers. But here, he would be stopped by the immense quantity of words which he must have, in order to express all the numbers which he would be obliged to make use of. He must then, after giving a separate name to a few of the first numbers, manage to express all other numbers by means of those names. I now proceed to explain the way in which these signs are made to represent other numbers. Suppose a man first to hold up one finger, then two, and so on, until he has held up every finger, and suppose a number of men to do the same thing. It is plain that we may thus distinguish one number from another by causing two different sets of persons to hold up each a certain number of fingers, and that we may do this in many different ways. For example, the number 15 might be indicated either by 15 men each holding up one finger, or by four men each holding up two fingers and a fifth holding up seven, and so on. The question is, of all these contrivances, expressing the number, which is the most convenient? In the choice which is made for the purpose consists what is called the method of numeration. I have used the foregoing explanation because it is very probable that our system of numeration, and almost every other which is used in the world, sprung from the practice of reckoning on the fingers which children usually follow when they begin to count. The method which I have described is the rudest possible, but by a little alteration, a system may be formed which will enable us to express enormous numbers with great ease. Suppose that you are going to count some large number, for example, to measure a number of yards of cloth, Opposite to yourself, suppose a man to be placed who keeps his eye upon you and holds up a finger for every yard which he sees you measure. When ten yards have been measured, he will have held up ten fingers and will not be able to count any further unless he began again. Holding up one finger at the eleventh yard, two at the twelfth, and so on. But to know how many have been counted, you must know not only how many fingers he holds up, but also how many times he has begun again.
you may keep this in view by placing another man on the right of the former, who directs his eye towards his companion, and holds up one finger the moment he perceives him ready to begin again. That is, as soon as ten yards have been measured, each finger of the first man stands only for one yard, but each finger of the second stands for as many as all the fingers of the first together, that is, for ten. In this way, a hundred may be counted, because the first may now reckon his ten fingers once for each finger of the second man, that is, ten times in all, and ten tens is one hundred. Now, place a third man at the right of the second, who shall hold up a finger whenever he perceives the second ready to begin again. One finger of the third man counts as many as all the ten fingers of the second, that is, counts one hundred. In this way, we may proceed until the third has all his fingers extended, which will signify that ten hundred, or one thousand, have been counted. A fourth man would enable us to count as far as ten thousand, a fifth as far as one hundred thousand, a sixth as far as a million, and so on. Each new person placed himself towards your left in the rank opposite to you. Now rule columns as in the next page, and to the right of them all place in words the number which you wish to represent. In the first column, on the right, place the number of fingers which the first man will be holding up when that number of yards has been measured. In the next column, place the fingers which the second man will then be holding up, and so on. Section 2. Addition and Subtraction There is no process in arithmetic which does not consist entirely in the increase or diminution of numbers. There is then nothing which might not be done with collections of pebbles. Probably, at first, either these or the fingers were used. Our word calculation is derived from the Latin word calculus, which means a pebble. Shorter ways of counting have been invented, by which many calculations, which would require long and tedious reckoning, pebbles were used, are made at once with very little trouble. The four great methods are addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, of which the last two are only ways of doing several of the first and second at once. When one number is increased by others, the number which is as large as all the numbers together is called their sum. The process of finding the sum of two or more numbers is called addition, and, as was said before, is denoted by placing a cross between the numbers which are to be added together. 
multiplication. I have said that all questions in arithmetic require nothing but addition and subtraction. I do not mean by this that no rule should ever be used except those given in the last section, but that all other rules only shew shorter ways of finding what might be found, if we pleased, by the methods there deduced. Even the last two rules themselves are only short and convenient ways of doing what may be done with a number of pebbles or counters. I want to know the sum of five seventeens, or I ask the following question. There are five heaps of pebbles and seventeen pebbles in each heap. How many are there in all? Write five seventeens in a column and make the addition, which gives 85. In this case, 85 is called the product of 5 and 17, and the process of finding the product is called multiplication, which gives nothing more than the addition of a number of the same quantities. Here, 17 is called the multiplicand, and 5 is called the multiplier. 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 85. If no question harder than this were ever proposed, there would be no occasion for a shorter way than the one here followed. But if there were 1,367 heaps of pebbles and 429 in each heap, the whole number is then 1,367 times 429, or 429 multiplied by 1,367. I should have to write 429 1,367 times, and then to make an addition of enormous length. Suppose I ask whether 156 can be divided into a number of parts, each of which is 13, or how many 13s 156 contains, I propose a question, the solution of which is called division. In this case, 156 is called the dividend, 13 the divisor, and the number of parts required is the quotient. And when I find the quotient, I am said to divide 156 by 13. The simplest method of doing this is to subtract 13 from 156, and then to subtract 13 from the remainder, and so on. Or, in common language, to tell off 156 by 13s. On the proportion of numbers. 
When two numbers are named in any problem, it is usually necessary, in some way or another, to compare the two. That is, by considering the two together, to establish some connection between them, which may be useful in future operations. The first method which suggests itself and the most simple is to observe which is the greater and by how much it differs from the other. The connection thus established between two numbers may also hold good of two other numbers. For example, 8 differs from 19 by 11, and 100 differs from 111 by the same number. In this point of view, 8 stands to 19 in the same situation in which 100 stands to 111. The first of both couples differing in the same degree from the second. The four numbers thus noticed, 8, 19, 100, 111, are said to be in arithmetical proportion. When four numbers are thus placed, the first and last are called the extremes, and the second and third the means. It is obvious that 111 plus 8 equals 100 plus 19. That is, the sum of the extremes is equal to the sum of the means. And this is not accidental arising from the particular numbers we have taken, but must be the case in every arithmetical proportion. For in 111 plus 8, by any diminution of 111, will not affect the sum, provided a corresponding increase be given to 8. And, by the definition just given, one mean is as much less than 111 as the other is greater than 8. A set or series of numbers is said to be in continued arithmetical proportion or in arithmetical progression when the difference between every two succeeding terms of the series is the same. This is the case in the following series. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 1 and a half, 2, 2 and a half, 3, Three and a half. The difference between two succeeding terms is called the common difference. In the three series just given, the common differences are one, three, and a half. If a certain number of terms of any arithmetical series be taken, 
the sum of the first and last terms is the same as that of any other two terms, provided one is as distant from the beginning of the series as the other is from the end. For example, let there be seven terms, and let them be A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Then, since by the nature of the series, B is as much above A as F is below G, A plus G equals B plus F. Again, since C is as much above B as E is below F, B plus F equals C plus E. But A plus G equals B plus F. Therefore, A plus G equals C plus E, and so on. Again, twice the middle term, or the term equally distant from the beginning and the end, which exists only when the number of terms is odd, is equal to the sum of the first and last terms. For since C is as much below D as E is above it, we have C plus E equals D plus D equals 2D. But C plus E equals A plus G. Therefore, A plus G equals 2D. This will give a short rule for finding the sum of any number of terms of an arithmetical series. Let there be seven, those just given, since A plus G, B plus F, and C plus E are the same. Their sum is three times A plus G, which with D, the middle term, or half A plus G, is three times and a half A plus G, or the sum of the first and last terms multiplied by three and a half, or seven divided by two, or half the number of terms. If there had been an even number of terms, for example six, A, B, C, D, E, and F, we know that A plus F, B plus E, and C plus D are the same, whence the sum is three times A plus F, or the sum of the first and last terms multiplied by half the number of terms as before. The rule then is, 
to sum any number of terms of an arithmetical progression, multiply the sum of the first and last terms by half the number of terms. On permutations and combinations. If a number of counters, distinguished by different letters, be placed on the table, and any number of them, say four, be taken away, the question is to determine in how many different ways this can be done. Each way of doing it gives what is called a combination of four, but which might, with more propriety, be called a selection of four. Two combinations or selections are called different, which differ in any way whatever. Thus, ABCD and ABCE are different, D being in one and E in the other, the remaining parts being the same. Let there be six counters, A, B, C, D, E and F. The combinations of three which can be made out of them are twenty in number as follow. ABC ACE BCD BEF AB D A C F B C E C D E A B E B C F C D F A B F A D F B D E C E F A C D A E F B Combinations of four are fifteen in number, namely A, B, C, D, A, B, D, E, A, C, D, E, A, D. E, F, B, C, D.